0: Hi y'all, this is Stephanie Kimu and welcome back to the Angry Africans Podcast. This podcast is about Black anger and what it's done for all of us. So I'll be in conversation with my favorite angry African thinkers, creatives, and activists from the continent and the diaspora to get to know why they mad and what they're doing about it. So in this episode, I unpack another enraging conundrum. How the world loves Black style, richness, swagger, and beauty aesthetic, but not the Black people attached. Particularly, I'm diving into the politics of Black hair and how with its infinite spectrum of styles has been traditionally seen as unattractive, untamed, dirty, or downright ugly on Black people, but when you add baby hair or beaded braids or worse, both. Onto a white woman or her adjacent peers, it becomes the most coveted and influential style out. What's particularly Enraging is the erasure of black women and gender non conforming folk from the global beauty scene, knowing that the most impactful hair and makeup styles have been born and honed in Africa and her diaspora. To further unpack this conundrum, though, I bring in my best boo and celebrity hairstylist and global hair educator, Sierra Kostinopoul, whose influence on the beauty world can be seen on editorial covers, in major digital campaigns, and of course, her iconic red carpet moments. Sierra shares why she won't just stop putting braids on white girls, but would rather focus her attention on informing the most powerful and well resourced beauty brands on how to recognize and elevate the history of the styles being worn globally. There are so many amazing moments and hard truths in this episode, and yes, We even talk about that mega social media celebrity who did not credit my girl for those poppin' ass braids during Paris Fashion Week. It's such a good episode, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to the Angry Africans Podcast Episode 2. I'm happy you came back. That means it's a little something in here. I am so excited for today's episode. I have my sister, from this life and many other lives my best friend my boo I don't know what else it's everything my inspiration
1: Sierra thank you for having me on I'm so excited
0: I'm so excited Sierra for those who are not following Sierra please go on and follow at Sierra Coiffure on Instagram You started doing hair in Alexandria, Virginia. You became a hairstylist <laughs> later on, right? And so you're now in Paris. You've been there for 10 years and you are, I would say, the top celebrity hairstylist in Paris. I'm not even going to name names. You guys will see it when you log on to her Instagram, but you are the go-to, especially for black celebrities. And I'm so proud of you. And I just want to welcome you wholeheartedly to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. Merci, chérie. Listen, (laughs) no, seriously, the way you hype me up, um, I feel loved and important too. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: My issues with the co-option of Black hair by the global community of especially white people and white women in the entertainment industry has left me feeling so vulnerable and unseen and erased from a lot of online spaces. I say vulnerable because it's, it's something that really stings to be a black woman and to wear your locks and your braids and your cornrows from the day you started growing follicles of hair. And as you are an adult, and you're growing into like, how, what do I love about myself as a black woman? What do I love about myself as a black woman with natural hair? Then you're kind of reminded that actually people just like the hair; they don't like your blackness. So if you get that out the way, then I can have your 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 faux locks, your whole aesthetic. Your whole aesthetic. Why does the world love Black hair most
1: when it is not on Black heads? For the same daggone reason they love Black features, as long as it's not on a Black woman. Lips, curves, all the things, you know, our, our melanin. It's it's really interesting because our hair has been the thing that has been hated historically the most as as people. You know, from the moment they, they, they took us up. You know, it was, we had to cover. I started with was, was having to hide our hair, cover our hair, you know, cutting it all off. Um, you know, then it did then move forward to not having it styled, then not having products and things available, not being able to take care of it. And then, and then transforming into every way to make it look like whiteness. And I feel deeply that the answer to this question is, is that people, the people who have colonized, colonized most of the world. It's because they have no imagination. They they don't they're they're, they're not coming with any creativity. So it's easy to pick up from people creativity from people who are black and who are always coming with something different. It's like, oh, oh, you know what? We haven't picked up yet. We've like taken everything, you know, picked off of them so much. Let's now pick on like their hair. Let's see how we can if we put that on a white person, I think that will give chic. As I was on Pinterest looking
0: for locks. If you put dreadlocks in Google or Pinterest, who do you think comes up first? White people with locks. Can you imagine? And that led me down the rabbit hole to seeing Pinterest boards with long acrylic nails, um, grills, door knocker earrings, baby hairs, all of our signature looks, especially from African Americans. On a Pinterest board. And I thought to myself, wow, all these stylists who are talking, you know, styling the Kardashians, the Jenners, the woo-woo, all they got to do is go to this Pinterest board, you know? (laughs) That's all they have to do. And that's what you're saying is this lack of creativity to, to manifest a glorious, beautiful, colorful world is not, so, it's something apparent within colonizers. There's a lack of creativity. And so
1: I just love that you said that.
0: Are we, really Are
1: we really surprised? These people literally left their small little spots, you know, think about the smaller countries in Europe and sailed, okay, halfway across the world in search of space, in search of something different. That's how bored. Can you imagine being in your own continent countries with people who look like you, doing your thing, living your life and being so bored? Being no, no, cre- no, nothing that you literally are willing to risk your life and sail all the way across in search for something different. <laughs> and then you find it and you're like, actually, you
0: niggas are coming back with us. I'm sorry. No, that's a terrible joke. I take life seriously, I take black history seriously. What we're really talking about is anti blackness because if you're, if stylists are doing what you've mentioned they're doing, people who are doing hair and styling clothes. They're, they're looking for inspiration, especially towards African-American women, Black women in the U.S. So th- they're just anti-Black. And it's hard to, it's hard for people to listen to the term anti-Blackness because they immediately think anti-Blackness as a white person or a non-Black person of color means I don't like Black people. I don't like Black culture. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. I am racist and I despise Black people. That's not what anti-Blackness is. So I want to know from your perspective, how do you define anti-Blackness, especially you who is working in the entertainment industry?
1: Anti-Blackness is truly the, the erasure. It's the erasure, that like the intent to, to, to erase Black culture the historical references where these things ideas have come from and trying to mimic something that is completely black and whitewashing it that is complete anti-blackness especially when it comes when it comes to within the hair industry how I have seen it and continue to see it done is once again these Pinterest boards with all of these references of things like Look, I am thirty three. I went to school every day, laying my baby baby hairs down. My dad used to say, "Like here she goes with her curtain, her curtain hair." And so, for people to now, you know, make that pop. Listen, you want to do baby hairs on an editorial shoot? Do you boo? But to com- the erasure, the erasure of where this come from comes from acknowledging that this is from Black culture and uplifting that culture. They have no problem saying, you know, we, we went to Finland and we saw this thing and then, you know, it really took us out of our comfort zone and we were like, we want to interpret this into a fashion. But those stories aren't told when it comes to Black hairstyles, to Black historical references of hairstyles and looks. And so when you, when you decide to intent, intentionally erase the history of Blackness, that is anti-Blackness. You can have all the black friends you want. You can can be married to somebody black. You can do all those things. But when you do not uplift the culture that you are appropriating, that is a problem. And that is anti-blackness. Damn.
0: Damning. Damning definition from my girl. It's true. But listen, anti-blackness is something that we all experience as black people, especially in the ways that you're saying it. But for real, for real... I've never seen anti-Blackness the way I've seen it in France, the way I've seen it in Paris. And so as an American living in Paris, as an African-American living in Paris, how do you see anti-Blackness manifest around,
1: particularly our hair in the city of Paris? Oh, first of all, what a great question. I mean, you, you know that I have struggled through my 10 years here because- the at least what we have in the states is you know when somebody is against you it's clear you know it's very clear when someone's against, against against you here it is it is really the definition of microaggressions french people do not have the backbone that you know these empty-minded ruthless and toothless Americans have of just calling people ugly names and telling their hair is ugly and telling these kind of things. They don't have that. It's going to be the microaggressions. You know, it's going to be really microaggression things of saying, Oh, you know, Oh, interesting hair. It must be difficult having hair like this. Or it's going to be, Oh, you know, we want to do this fashion shoot and we're thinking about doing something, you know, really different and a little, a little extra. And so, and then here comes the mood board of literally nothing but traditional African, a hairstyles or traditional African American hairstyles, and every single model is white. And yet, when it comes to the black, they bring the black models on set. They want them all to have lace front straight wigs, and it's like, okay, I'm confused. So the black women, af- actual African women, don't get to wear their traditional hairstyles that they actually probably have worn and have worn as children, grew up wearing. They don't get those. Those are given to you know the tokeness. The depth of the anti-blackness in Paris is really deep because it has it has really honestly mindwashed most of the black people here. So <laughs> you feel like you're fighting the system. You feel like you're fighting everyone. You feel like, you're, you, you, feel like you, ha- you have to educate your brothers and sisters just as, much as, just as much as you have to educate the others. Because it's so bad. Let me give you just an example. It's so bad that they don't even want to use the word black. You know, in French, the word black in French is noir. French people, genuinely, I'm talking about in a corporate setting and everything, instead of saying the, the people noir, they will say, you know, the, the, the person, and they'll just use the, the American word, black. Because so that, that makes it a little easier to, like, say it.
0: I've noticed French people using the word
1: black. Yes. Voila. This <laughs> is... This is genuine. I've had these conversations. The reason why I know is because I've asked, like, why? You know, you guys have the word black in French. Like, I'm confused. <laughs> why are you using it? Like, oh, no. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's easier. It's, it's, it's lighter on the ears if you hear it in English.
0: Oh, my gosh. And so all of these, all of these microaggressions translate into brands. That's the scary thing. They, they turn into traditional foundations for how hair businesses s- start brands. And so if you have somebody who is saying, being uncompromising about all black models wearing lace fronts and all white models wearing traditionally black hairstyles, those people kind of leave Chanel and leave wherever and they meet back up and they create brands that are rooted in anti-blackness but actually are uplifting the aesthetic of blackness while still centering whiteness and it's really interesting to me to experience kind of all the microaggressions and the backwards ways of thinking that you ha- through you as you've been building up your career as a brand educator and a consultant for brands who are trying to get this diversity equity inclusion thing right. And so I just feel like I want to ask like how have major these major global hair brands dropped the ball? Like you exist to not only just be an influencer on Instagram, although you are my influencer on Instagram, you also have gone to school and built a portfolio of clients who are clamoring for you to tell them, you know, what are we doing wrong as some of the biggest brands in the world? And if you could speak to all these global brands, the ones you've worked with and the ones that you you will inevitably work with, what would you say they're getting wrong? What's the biggest thing that they're getting wrong?
1: Well, number one, I would say is... The erasure of an entire demographic that is like that, that exists. Textured hair has always existed. <laughs> so to create an entire brand and to, you know, and to have a global presence and to not have space, intentional space for that hair texture is complete anti-blackness. It is it is a problem, and that's where the, the ball has really been dropped for me. And I I, I take on this. You can tell that my voice has changed because it really saddens me. To be honest, it saddens me to see that brands can do so much more. They have the demographic exists. You know, you take you take France for example. You, you take Paris. You take France. There is such a large uh, black population. You know, mixed population people who have textured hair, and yet they're not serving that that public. And so you see these people buying things from the States and buying things from the UK when they could actually have that from their own home countries. What I speak to them, the whole reason why I went back to school with these brands is because what's lacking is that the people who are making decisions in these education departments, you know, who are the education managers and directors and who are sitting, you know, the suits, you know, the suits who are sitting and making the decisions about what are we putting out there? How are we matching what the, the the product that we're producing as well as our, our brand messaging, how is that connecting? Well, guess what? You get those meetings, there's no one that looks like me there. So how can there's a huge disconnect between what's actually happened in the field, you know, there's uh, in the beauty industry and what's missing and what people really want and need and how that can match their, these brand messages. Because you look at the brand messaging for most of these global hair brands, they're always have talking about, you know, that they want to be for all. And they're all about the health of hair and they're all about diversity in there. They're all about inclusion. And yet the people they hire does not match that messaging. The education programs do not match that uh, that uh, messaging and as well you know you can't say that you are for diversity inclusion and for really changing changing the game and yet you continue to hire for example hairstyles who only work with white hair with well, european hair it's like how does that mess? Ma- how does that match your messaging why is not that a requirement for people to have be educated on all hair textures why is that a requirement for your company so these are the things that need to be addressed, and the best way to be addressed is someone like me. Yes, my baby.
0: Well, I was gonna, I was going to ask you. I think I wanted you on this podcast because it's deeply hurtful to be erased from movies, music. Well, maybe not music all the way, but movies and 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 TV and and for my aesthetic, my style, my hair, my look to be represented, but my Blackness to be erased. It's so deeply hurtful and troubling. And I think what you are building is what you consider a solution to this deeply hurtful thing, which is we cannot actually erase all of these major brands. And right now we're talking about for you in the hair industry, but other brands that have erased Black people. Unfortunately, they have become so huge and hegemonic, we can't erase them. But we cannot continue to allow them to feign ignorance on where these styles are coming from. And you have developed this niche educational component as your solution to being erased from brands. And that is really about, we're not just going to call these braids boxer braids. You're going to learn. And I've literally seen you do this and you have a highlight reel on your Instagram about the major African influences that go into boxer braids that you see on these white girls on the, on the red carpet. And so I I want to talk about that, but I also want to kind of bring in another component of your of your education. You know, f- the the way you educate. And in um, and a few years ago, you did the hair of a non black celebrity person and her daughter because her husband was having a show in Paris, and her husband's black or was black and the shade (laughs) her husband was black when she was married to him and um I guess he still is and and so you did you you agreed to do this person's hair because this person ran with a lot of niggas but had none in her beauty glam (laughs) team that week in Paris. And so they had to reach out to you to specifically do these braids because you hadn't been with her that whole week, right? And so you bring in this, this pretty big celebrity into Paris. They brought her in, they flew her in and you did the hair and they didn't tag you on the hair. They literally erased you from the entire moment which was the
1: best look of the entire Paris Fashion Week. Hello? Said by her herself and everybody else.
0: Said, said this was the best moment of her fashion week. Loved the braids, that her daughter loved the braids. And they tagged their white hairstylist instead of you. And used language to push people to think that that white hairstylist, he was the one that did those black ass braids. Yeah. <laughs> but what, what I why I bring this up, my baby, is I went through every comment and this, this thing went viral. I went through every comment, and a few black women kept saying, Why did you, Sierra, do this per this white girl's hair anyway? Why would you not say? I have a moral imperative to not (laughs) do this white girl's hair. This white girl is problematic. This white girl has a history of erasing black people, but loving black men and loving black hair and aesthetic and body image and body shape. Um, Why would you do this black, this white girl's hair? And so I want to understand. Because that's really around that time is when you really started your education component. And so I want to understand how you felt about those comments. It went viral everywhere. And you probably saw a lot of comments about you. How did you feel about those comments from those Black women? And how does it tie now to this education or re-education to these major brands?
1: Well, you know, at any time I've taught any, any class about that is incorporating textured hair, any kind of black African hairstyle, et cetera, I always start, you know, after I introduce myself, I always have a section where I talk about the inspiration, where it came from, the historical reference, it's always been a part of the messaging. Because before you learn this technique that I'm gonna teach you, you're you're gonna know the reference, you're gonna know where it came from, and I want you to highlight the importance of that. And so listen, one thing that I believe about black women is you you have the right to think and feel however you want to. That's your business. But it's also my business to work <laughs> and take a client and no one knows what transpired transpired what conversations were had except for me and the team. And the truth of the matter is we had the conversation about cultural appropriation. We I was asked how I felt about that when it came to the style and I was very clear that when the that when, when the hairstyle where it's from is not acknowledged, not saying I was inspired by this. I wanted this hairstyle because I saw it here. Black women have been wearing this for this. I'm so, I, you know, I'm honored to be able to wear a hairstyle like this. When you're not acknowledging a whole lineage of people that have created and worn this hairstyle for years, then this is when it becomes problematic. That was a conversation that was had. I personally do not have a problem with non-black people wearing certain, I'm not saying all, certain type of hairstyles because I'm an artist, I have to change it up. Do you know what I mean? I think it's interesting. My issue comes with how it's presented and when you try to change the name now we're not going to now it's not going to be corn rolls you know now it's going to be boxer braids when you want to erase where these where it's come from when you don't want to acknowledge that I was inspired I'm inspired by a lot of cultures for example I use a lot of native traditional native american hairstyles and traditional uh, South American hairstyles and when I do editorial work. And guess what? I acknowledge it. I acknowledge this. This I learned it from this this tribe. I saw it in this book that I had this book about hair. Acknowledge it and then move on. It's an art. So acknowledging Black women saying, you, you should have never taken hair as a client. You should have never done the braids. Listen, to each their own. At the end of the day, to each their own. Personally, I left the room under the impression that she understood the messaging of where she went wrong when it came to cultural appropriation, and and not addressing who. Well, first of all, who did the hair? Number one, that obviously was left out. But really, truly, um, what it means when you decide to carry our hair comes with so much weight, and it's and it's not something light to care to decide to take that on and just not at all acknowledge where it came from. It really feels like, you know, it feels as if a little stab to us of the weight that we carry with our hair. You know, we, we can't go to a job interview with that hairstyle. Sometimes we can't, we can't enter certain spaces with that hairstyle. Sometimes we're not, we're not deemed as chic or, you know, or well-dressed or appropriate with that hairstyle. So I think that has to be acknowledged. Now, is it I'm now I'm not ever gonna take any client that's non-black at, at ever? I don't particularly agree with that messaging. And it is what it is.
0: <laughs> I love that. I mean that's what Mikhail and I, my husband, wrote under every one of those comments is you're not going to tell a black woman to not take money for her services if she is saying, this is what I'm going to do. You're not going to shame
1: her. You're
0: not going to come in here and not, and do that. My
1: real problem is with what our community sometimes is why is it when some like the burden, why is the burden on me now? You you know, it's it, why? So me as a black woman, I should not have money. I should be fighting a bad, a battle that I didn't create like I didn't create the, I didn't create them creating rules and us, our hair not being being deemed as chic and beautiful. I didn't create that, the the the, the patriarchy. I didn't create that as well, but now it's on my burden. It's now my burden to carry and I, I have to fight that. So you as my sister are telling me that's the battle I have to fight. Why are you not, why are you not going and and talking to the real person? Because guess what? At the end of the day, me not taking so-and-so as a hairstyle, as, 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 as it doesn't change anything in the game. It don't change anything. Again, if I didn't take her as a client, no one would know. It would, ne- it would never be a thing. But guess what? White people doing the work and speaking up and shutting things down and talking about it. That's where real change happens. Not little black black girls being like, I'm just not going to make money. I'm just not going to work because I'm just not. No, that's not where it goes. And I'm not caring. Anymore. And that's an unfortunate truth.
0: I mean, we can sit here and talk about black women's agency. Absolutely. We like. It is clear how monumental black women's anger, frustration, and rage has been globally. It is clear. You know what I mean? And so we are going to, we can be angry and still make money. We can still like, you know, advance where we're going without having to take on the undue burden of somebody else fucking up. That would be, you know, that would be disastrous for your career if you decided to only take Black clients in Paris, unfortunately, that it would be. And we don't want to live in a world where Black women like you have to make that terrible compromise. Because I know for a fact, if you could make money 100% working with Black people, especially Black women, you would. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's not what the reality is. The reality is you are living in an anti-Black city, in an anti-Black country, in an anti-Black world. It's a white country. (laughs) So you are going to take white clients. But why you are so important to the entertainment industry, the hair industry, the beauty industry, is because you have decided to gift these people with your time to educate them, to continue to educate and advocate for the, like, stop erasing Black people. Stop erasing Black people. Stop, I'm starting to sound like Dr. Umar Johnson. Stop erasing Black people, especially in Paris, especially in France. Like, your commitment to not, to still showing up, no matter if they're Black or white, as long as they have money to pay you and you don't hate them, to still showing up for your clients. How are you navigating that? How are you seeing your impact in both of these ways with your clients but also with the people that you're educating and the companies that you're working with?
1: Well to be honest, I I'm I'm doing big things. I'm doing work, you know, to be honest. To 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 go back to school, I I, I was a hundred percent motivated to go back to school by uh, the idea, the sole idea of I want to be able to make a difference when it comes to the community, the beauty industry, when it comes to DEI, and I- 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 change needs to happen, but from an internal point, from a corporate level. And although I have obviously, you know, lots of, of, of experience as an artist and in the field and, and freelance and working with the brands, I went back to school for instructional design, because i want to focus on the education programs i want to i want to change the interworkings of the curriculum buildings of this education and make it a normal thing that it, that the code the normal code is that every brand the normal thing is that they have to they have to have an understanding of all hair textures and you know and complexions that's normal you know, if you want to become a hairstylist, guess what? You go to school when you pass, you know, when you pass in front of the board, you have to have some understanding. And we see those changes starting to happen. It's happened in the UK, but they've passed a the law about that. And so I said, I want to make that change. I want to play a role in making that change. And so I wrote, down, I wrote a list. What are some things I can do? I went back to school so I can get this degree specifically. Instructional design is literally all about. Education curriculum, you know, building curriculum, um, education platforms within, you know, within university p- platforms, but also I want to do it within beauty. And now I am building, working on building, you know, now that I've graduated, building that brand, making connections so that I can get that seat in those rooms where we are not. And I can be the person that's saying, you know, that. That isn't really serving the grand public. We're forgetting about an entire demographic. This is what the people need. This is this. That's tone deaf. You know that that's unfair. That and to be to be in those spaces in those rooms, and that's where the real work starts. The real work doesn't start on commenting on people's pictures and being like, "You shouldn't take her as a client." That's not that's not where real work starts. Real work starts in doing real work. And to me, to go back to school in another country and another language all with the idea of serving Blackness and Black people. And so that way in 10 years moving forward, it's so normal when you go to beauty brands that everyone has at least a history and understanding of all of of textured hair. That's real change. That's a boss move.
0: The word serving Black people, it gives me chills because you have sacrificed so much to serve Black people in France. Like living in Paris is not all rooftops and pastries. You have suffered and went through so much to show up for Black folks in France. I just, we are all lucky to even see your rise and it's just so moving. And I remember the Angry Africans posted a few weeks ago, this quote by Iman, the model, the Somali model, icon, legend. And she she was saying, you know, don't erase my Africanness. People have said to me, I am like a beautiful white woman dipped in chocolate. No, I'm not. I am not white. I am black and I am African. And you love that quote. And I wanted to just know, like, I'm sure Iman is one of your favorite angry Africans, but do you have other favorite angry Africans that you think about often as you...
1: You. (laughs) My number one angry African is the Kimu. Madame Kimu is my number one. No, when you posted that, I reposted it. I think I reposted like three days straight because just in case anybody missed it. Because it spoke to me, it's exactly what happens so often when someone has deemed this Black person beautiful. And it's like, and now we have to attribute all of whatever's beautiful about you we get a, we have to attribute it to some whiteness in it, and you know I'm very sensitive about that topic you know, I'm very, very sensitive about people attributing- be- black beauty to something white, oh, but you must be mixed, and you must be the, mm. mm-hmm. You know it hits me a certain way, so um, who are some other who are in just clearly inspired by <sighs> Okay, you know, it changes on a regular basis, but I want to say Marianne Ibrahim. It's very few times that people genuinely make me feel like, I mean, that I am like, what a woman.
0: Tell us who she is, Marianne Ibrahim. I am fangirling
1: her and p- applauding her from afar, but remind us. So she ha- is a gallerist, you know, so she opens, she has two gallery um locations, one in Paris and one in Chicago. She opened the first black art gallery in Chicago and the first black art gallery in Paris. And she has been a huge promoter of black art and making it, you know, it was before black art became popular. It was way before that. You know, she can't she's 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 somalian. Very proud Somalian French as well. grew up in, grew up in in France, and her story is just really beautiful about seeing the beauty and the art of Black people, Black Americans, and being so touched and so inspired. And coming from a country where you know where she was—I mean, she's Somalian, but raised in Paris and um, in France, where Blackness is so. It, it, it's belittled. It, it, it's seen as less than it's very much it's very much reminded that's not art that's not that that's not chic, that's not that. And then coming to the states and seeing this art and seeing that there is there is really and truly a an open space in the market for black art to be appreciated and grow and to pour back into serving and pour back into black communities. All she, this is what I'm talking about. People who do things for black people, not for money, but for serving the people. And she is an example of that. So she opened it in Chicago, obviously absolutely amazing. And she has been one of those people who has been the forefront of this black art, you know, black, highly priced black art movement, you know, you know, giving our brothers and sisters millions of dollars to sell their for their art to be sold and now bringing that into Paris, which is a whole hurdle. I met her, um I was her hairstylist for for an award that she received here in Paris, and I was completely enamored. I mean I you know I called I called my boo Stephanie Kimu, literally like giggling like a little girl, l- lost for words. Yeah. So there are, I am often inspired by angry Africans. Most of them are primarily women, to be honest. And it changes on a regular basis. So I want to say that for, for this month and for what started off this year, Mayan Ibaim is number one. What what a woman. Wow.
0: That is so amazing. I mean, the art world that is telling People like Andy Warhol, he was a visionary and genius for whatever reasons. And is the same art world that is not paying some of the best artists on the planet what they should be paid. And so Mariam Ibrahim is absolutely one of my favorite angry Africans. I hope she could be on the podcast one day. But wow. Thank you, boo. Thank you. You are a busy person in the middle of Paris Couture week. I got a little bit of your time. To talk about your service to black people especially black women working hard to ensure we're not erased i appreciate you i'm so inspired by you
1: thank you i i can't even begin i'm just gonna say thank you because we're gonna be here forever i love (laughs) you thank you listen angry africans we in here (laughs)
0: thanks boo